Hi, it's Michael, the host of Impact Hustlers. And before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you get any value out of the episode today, please consider sharing it with a friend who would benefit from it. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. We're an independent podcast and are investing a lot of time and effort in publishing inspiring new episodes every week. We can only do this because of people who support us. And now there is an easy way to do so. You can give us a small tip or a regular donation to make sure we can keep going. Every penny is invested into making the podcast even bigger and better. And you can do so on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers thanks very much for your support thanks for listening and let's get into the show impact hustlers the podcast on entrepreneurs and change makers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems impact hustlers is brought to you by Wyra uk part of telefonica open future visit wyra.co.uk to learn how our acceleration programs can help your startup grow and this is your host Michael Shafrat. In today's episode, I'm joined by Tessa Cook, founder and CEO of Olio, an app that allows you to share food with your neighbors um, with the mission to eliminate food waste. She has raised investments from top VCs, uh, such as SL, for example, and is now scaling her company across the UK. Welcome, Tessa. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You were brought in um, way before you started your company as the first managing director of Wonga after the big PR disaster yes. uh, around that company. Um, so after the founders had left the company uh, mm -hmm. uh, with a big mess and a scandal. <laughs> um, and um, basically at a time where many argued that the company had lost its focus on, mm -hmm. um, on its customers and maybe wasn't really in it anymore for The, the social good or the impact um, that it might have initially aimed for. Um, so you were brought in to turn that around and you managed to turn that around. Um, what lessons did you learn in, in that time in terms of the role of companies and having a social impact and a positive impact on society? You're, you're absolutely right. That was a company that started off with a great mission uh, and vision, but along the way went very much off-piste. And there are a number of factors that I think contributed towards that. The key ones were really not keeping a close enough eye on who their real customers were and really understanding those customers. So one of the very first things that I did when I joined the organization was go and sit in the call center and listen to the customers who were speaking to us. And that gave some really good insight about who they really were. Uh, I think the second reason for the organization ending up uh, where it was, was due to the pace of the growth. Um, and I think a lot of that was due to having attracted large amounts of capital, um, having very aggressive top line numbers to hit. And that therefore means that the organization becomes very focused on those top line metrics so what would you advise from that time what would you advise to founders that maybe don't even run a social impact startup but are mm -hmm. just a conventional company are growing their company what would you advise in terms of still keeping an eye on doing good i think it's um it's about ensuring that you have doing good metrics 
on your dashboard from day one um, and you measure those and scrutinize those just as much as your top line metrics um, that probably is, is is one of the key things to sort of keep you focused obviously if you look at your career um, you've worked for Wonga as a managing director you've worked for Dyson for BCG as a consultant yeah. um, so um, fairly traditional industries and sectors what inspired mm -hmm. you to start a startup in the social impact sector and how did you come up with going into that sector? So I'm a farmer's daughter originally. Um, so the world of business was always one that was very far away from me. I studied social and political sciences at Cambridge. And there it became very clear to me that I wanted to do something positive in the world. But I had no idea what or where or how. And so um, I did what a lot of people um, do. They sort of graduated and went into consulting. Um, I then spent the next sort of 10 or 15 years uh, in industry, again, very much enjoying what I was doing, but I didn't at the end of the day feel truly personally fulfilled by it. Um, I loved my career, but I didn't feel like I had contributed something that I was proud of. And so I'd had a growing desire um, over probably the kind of the five to eight years prior to setting up Olio to do something that I was proud of and I was excited by and I was... Um, yeah inspired by instead of always being inspired by other people's stories um, and the light bulb moment for Olio came two and a half years ago now when I was moving country I had some good food that we hadn't managed to eat and the removal men said I had to throw it all away and uh, being a farmer's daughter and someone who just hates the idea of throwing away food um, this wasn't something that was going to happen so I set out into the streets to try and find someone to give that food to um, and I failed and it was through that process that I thought this is crazy. This is beautiful, delicious food. Why isn't there an app where I can share it with someone who would like to have this? Um, and that was really the genesis of Olio. And then when I researched the problem of food waste and realized, I mean, I was absolutely horrified to discover what an enormous problem it is. Um, and the more we learn, so a third of all the food we waste, that we produce globally goes to waste, third largest source of greenhouse gas emissions, 800 million people in the world go hungry. The more I learned about this problem, um, the more I just uh, got immersed in it and felt like I really wanted to help solve it. What would you suggest looking back at the time when you still, I think, had your job, right? Yes. So you yep. were still working you were coming up with this idea mm -hmm. um, and wanted to go more in the social impact space. What yeah. would you advise for entrepreneurs that are just starting out, might still have a full-time job at a very conventional yeah. career where they might not see a future yeah. and want to have a social impact what would you love to have known back then when you started out when starting a social impact company i honestly couldn't have dreamed just how transformational it has been on a personal level to wake up every single day um, knowing that you're doing something you're proud of and that makes a difference and it's impacting other people's lives it, it's it's just absolutely <laughs> transformational. Um, so I would really, really encourage people. I, I unfortunately meet too many people who say, I'm going to work until I'm 50 or 55. I'm going to make a lot of money and then I'm going to do something positive um, for the world. And I just want to scream at them and say, no, um, do it, do it yesterday. Um, so probably my biggest regret is that I didn't do it earlier. How can people integrate that into their life? Doing social Yeah. or impactful things with mm -hmm. what they do every day um even maybe if they might not be kind of uh, predestined to become an entrepreneur but yeah what do you think how how can this traditional model of okay earn your money donate a percent or five percent mm. or whatever it might be into transform into yeah. work every day on 
creating good impact. In the yeah, world. I, I definitely think there is a model which is halfway um, in between that, which is using your spare time and also using your spending power to do things that are having a positive impact. So in particular, um, we are all consumers. Every single pound we spend is a vote. Um, and if you are buying products and services that come from um, perhaps an ethically dubious background, then you are voting and saying, that's okay, I'm fine with that. So one of the biggest things you can do is just make sure that every time you buy something, you're thinking about the origin and the sustainability of that product. Um, so that doesn't require much time at all perhaps a little bit of research. The next step up is around looking at your spare time and we do all hopefully have some spare time uh, and there are just an incredible array of uh, volunteering opportunities, mentoring opportunities um, and so there are lots of ways in which you can start to get involved in the uh, impact world. Looking at the tech sector, um, obviously still most of it is quite conventional and even being scrutinized um, for, for its uh, force for social good but mm. Do you think that technology like um, you see with Olio can play a bigger role in actually solving the world's biggest problems? And can it do that better than maybe sometimes politicians or NGOs might be able to? Yeah, I mean, so we are very, very much motivated by the fact that the status quo uh, today is unsustainable and very, very scary. So we're throwing away a third of all the food we produce. And let's take just the UK as an example. Um UK households throw away 13 billion pounds worth of food that could have been eaten. That's 700 pounds sterling for the average family. Alongside that, we have over 8 million people who are living in food poverty who don't necessarily know where the next meal is going to come from. It's very clear that conventional businesses and that politics and government are not solving those problems because they still exist on the scale that they are today. And this is where technology like Olio, actually, we are really focused on creating a platform that not only sort of connects neighbors with each other so we can share, but also we're enabling other people who are passionate about stopping food waste and helping tackle hidden hunger. Um, we're inviting them to come onto our platform and to spread the word, to use our marketing materials um, and to get Olio kickstarted in their local community so they can solve the problem sort of on the streets immediately around them. And we really do feel like we are creating a, a sort of a grassroots community movement which is really trying to solve these terrible problems of food waste and hidden hunger. Should policy and should politicians focus more on giving entrepreneurs the job of fixing some of our problems? Um, I think they can create an environment that is conducive for startups um, to start to fix some of these problems. Um, but in our experience, what we have learned is that sadly, uh, government and local government is is pretty slow to move. Um, and so we have had to sort of crack on, I guess, despite that. And I'm sure that in time, we're already working with some local governments across the UK, um, local authorities, and I'm, I'm sure with time, we'll start to work with more and more of them. Um, but obviously, we would like to be working with all of them yesterday. <laughs> Mentioning your round that you raised, I think, earlier this year, um, yep. you, you closed the round um, with investors like Mustard Seed, uh, SL mm -hmm. uh, Ventures. Um, so really like um, 
investors in mustard seed in the case they they are social impact investor yeah. a cell is not right yeah. so they invest in very traditional tech startups mm -hmm. usually um and also usually invest at a bit later stage uh, yeah. than you are so um how did you go about running a social impact startup approaching mm -hmm. a fund like them yeah. um and how did you go about securing that funding and actually getting investment from a mainstream vc firm so we I don't think we necessarily thought of ourselves as a social impact startup at the beginning. That's a um, an identity, I guess, that we've taken on as we've learned more about the space in which we're operating. Uh, I approached um, Sonali from Excel, who I'd worked with previously, to, I did the classic sort of ask for advice and get investment. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't planning to raise uh, funding from Excel at that point in time. But I was seeking advice to make sure that we didn't do anything at our seed stage that would preclude us from being an attractive investment for them further down the line. And um, just pitched really the enormity of the problem, uh, the huge white space opportunity to solve it. We had some good, very early data um, showing that we had a model uh, that could work. And Sonali was very much backing Sasha and I as a team to unlock that opportunity. That was our seed round. We then closed a pre-series A, which was Excel following on. And that was where Mustard Seed and Quadia, um, a num number of other impact-oriented angel investors came on board. And I think similarly, they were very motivated by the problem that we were trying to solve and the very unique solution that we had coupled with the team that was making it happen. So what's the focus and the reason for them to invest mainly because you were aiming at social impact or was it just basically they looked at your business and they thought, okay, this could really be a really big business and that's okay, the yeah. reason why we want to invest. I, I think different invest, if I'm being honest, different investors of ours sit at different places along the spectrum. So we mm -hmm. have obviously Excel, who are very much a classic Silicon Valley VC, um, and we were absolutely presenting a multiple billion dollar opportunity to them and that's very exciting then we have some other investors who are very much focused on the impact in terms of the co2 emissions that are being saved the number of neighbor to neighbor connections that are taking place etc um, for us sasha and i um we are motivated by both. We're motivated by our impact, but also we believe that having a sustainable, robust business model is the most effective way for us to scale and therefore for us to have the impact that we want. So we don't see them as mutually exclusive, but we recognize that um, often uh, it puts us in a slightly strange space because mm. some people think we should be a charity mm. and some charities think we're far too commercial um, and we're this sort of hybrid that sits in the middle and I think the B Corp uh, identification and accreditation is probably the closest thing that we've found mm. that really resonates with us as, as leaders of Olio. Um, do you feel like you're sometimes falling in a the gap there? Because um, obviously a lot of traditional investors might be like, oh, that's a social impact stuff. Somebody else can do it. And then there is some social impact funds. But again, like the big mm. money is obviously in the mainstream. So like, yeah. how, how do you not fall through these gaps? Yeah. We um, definitely feel a little bit like an adolescent teenager, um, sort of nothing quite fits. We have definitely experienced that the large amounts of capital are still in traditional VC. 
um, where the concern, the primary overriding concern is about financial return. And there is very little uh, regard necessarily for your mission. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have the impact investors who are very, very mission aligned and impact aligned, but unfortunately don't have nearly the same level of capital to deploy. And so who ironically sometimes end up being more risk averse, um, even though theoretically, I think they would like to have Mm. the patient capital that's required for impact investing. Mm. So uh, there is definitely a big gap in the middle. So what needs to change there? Do just more impact VCs needs to pop, need to pop up or uh, what, what needs to change there? I, I am hoping, you know, just a personal opinion, but a lot of change tends to happen when some early adopters create awareness and drive some initial change. But true, provi- profound, sort of seismic, transformational change actually takes place when the large existing incumbent players change and adapt their business models um so if you were to take an analogy of of fashion for example there are lots of brilliant fashion startups that are that are eco-conscious and have sustainable business models but true impact is going to happen when h&m and Topshop and players like that re-engineer their supply chains to make them sort of truly sustainable and so i suspect that similar might happen um in the vc world and we're already starting to see some larger funds committing larger sums of money to impact investing. And as more data comes about to show that actually impact investing is the smart thing to do because it's what's going to deliver long-term returns, um, then then I, I think, I hope that in, in five years' time and 10 years' time, certainly we'll be looking at a very different environment. So you just mentioned, yeah, big companies need to change. They can really make the big impact. Are you at Olio focusing on that as well, partnering with those companies and actually enabling to, to have, have an impact as well? Yeah, absolutely. So we are, um, one of our sort of early challenges, uh, ironically, has been that demand for surplus food has been insanely high so 40 percent of all food listings on the app are requested in less than an hour and so um, for us to satisfy that demand we've now started partnering with supermarket chains and bakeries and cafes etc and we provide a service whereby our volunteers will collect unsold food at the end of the day take it home add it to the app and redistribute it to the local community and that's then enabling these large corporates to have zero food waste stores something that five years ago was not on their radar our screen now actually is a top priority from the sea level down um, the need to have sustainable business operations and zero food waste looking at all you i think you've run the business about almost two years now is yeah. that right yeah. um in, in that journey um what are the most common misconceptions about Olio, but also about social impact startups in general that you're encountering all the time that you disagree with and that need to change are there any misconceptions that you encounter of oh Nice little charity project. Cool, cool, cool that you do it. But yeah, I think that that is something that is is frustrating, which is that when you're dealing with something that has social good as its mission, there is just a default assumption that you must be a charity. And we find that very frustrating because we don't want, you know, we, we can think of very few examples of charities that have scaled to have truly global impact very quickly. And also we don't want to spend the rest of our lives in a constant fundraising um, mm. mode. We want to have 
a sustainable repeatable business model so yeah it's, it's very frustrating that people must assume that because we're dealing with food and redistributing food that must mean that we're a charity so what's your vision with Olia what's your big vision that you want to accomplish in the next 20 years well we have a uh, an unashamedly bold vision um, because the the planet needs it quite frankly and that is that we will have hundreds of millions of people using oleo to share our most precious resource which is which is food and drink and we today um are on a quarter of a million users and we've achieved that in just over a year and a half of being live in the uk and uh, absolutely we're well on our way to getting our first million then 10 million then 100 million users all right um that, that's a good challenge to have <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wish you all the best for that. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining our podcast and uh, all the best for your company and uh, for you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks. This was Impact Hustlers. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Waira UK, part of Telefonica Open Future. Learn more about Waira on www.waira.co.uk. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.